Thank you, David. Thank you, band. Anybody who can finger pick a 12 string is pretty good. Fantastic. I don't know why these are here. It says, be still and know that I'm God. Well, I'll work on that. It's fantastic to be back with you. I always get a lovely welcome here. And uh, it's great to see um, Dorothy again, who was in my church in London 20-something years ago. And also my very old friends, John and Sylvia, who've forsaken all saints to be here today. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> they don't do a lot of that in all saints. <laughs> and uh, John was my crusader leader 55 plus years ago. And, uh, well, 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 you look older, not about me. Do you know, um, when I preached in, in churches in Nigeria, and the translation always took longer than what I said. So I assumed that it was being kind of corrected along the way. But I've never been in a church that had predictive speech. <clears throat> and uh, I'm tempted to say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I assume this is automatic. You haven't got some brilliant stenographer somewhere. <laughs> of course, you know that predictive speech, of course, if you've ever... I mean, always check your emails, folks. Um, unfortunately... Oh, by the way, I noticed earlier on, I think this is American, this setup, because when, David, I think you said the words to cater, and it came up with Decatur, which is a town in Georgia in USA. You know, unfortunately, the inventor of predictive speech has recently died. And the funfair will be on monkey. <laughs> yeah, it takes a bit of time. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, when I prepared, I thought we've had some glorious days and I was expecting a lovely drive in the sunshine coming up. <coughs> Teach us to live in England, won't you? Um, but nevertheless, the heavens declare the glory of God. Not that we can see them at the moment, but in faith we know that the heavens declare the glory of God. I want to read for you just the first few verses of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night. They declare knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. It's a wonderful psalm, and David read some other wonderful psalms earlier. Uh, but the thing about that psalm really is it's talking about the works of God making a statement about him. And that really is our theme as we pick up on the... Uh, miracles, uh, as in the first three chapters of Mark, um, you've heard the expression, actions speak louder than words. And in many ways that is so as we look at this. Now, you've given me the title, The Healings of Jesus, recorded in Mark 20, Mark 1, 20 to 3, 6. Now, that's a long passage, so I'm not going to read it all. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the sections that include the five miracles that are in that um, two and a half chapters, whatever it is. So here we go, and this is uh, Mark 1, 23 to 26. Be uh, where are we? Um, yeah, this is the man in the synagogue. Um, 
Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And then chapter 1, verse 13. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. By the way, did it ever cross your mind? Simon Peter was married. Uh, It's the only way you can get a mother-in-law. I'm told. And then um, the man uh, healed from leprosy in chapter 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. He was cured. Uh, And then in 2, 3 to 12, this is the guy who had four very strong friends. Do you ever wonder why nothing fell on their heads during all this process? I'll leave you to dream dream about that. Because they let him down through the roof. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 3. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the man, the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority, key word, on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray before we look at those again. Father God. We pray that in our minds and our hearts we may be informed by your word and inspired by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to say three things before we get into it a bit more deeply. Firstly, do you notice in chapter 1, and by the way, this is not all on the screen. Um, if you've got your Bible on your phone or whatever, that's it. check it out. But in chapter 1, verse 32 to 34, we're told that Jesus performed many other miracles of healing. Uh, of course, John tells us there's too many to go in a, enough books to fill the world. And so we assume, and we know, therefore, that Matthew, Mark and Luke are very selective about which ones they choose to put in, what's going on in their thinking. Second thing to think about is that Mark uh, and the other Gospels repeatedly speak of Jesus' authority in teaching and healing. Now that's a fundamentally significant word and issue, both then and in our own day now. The word is used 40 times in the four Gospels. 
So what did and does the authority with which Jesus speaks and acts tell us about who he is? Why is it constantly questioned by what authority? And the third thing to say in advance is that repeatedly Jesus tells those who have been healed to keep quiet. Chapter 1 verse 44, a strong warning not to tell anyone. And a few verses after today's passage in chapter 3 verse 12, we have, he gives strict orders to many healed of evil spirits, quote, not to tell who he was. The evil spirits are recognising who he is. But Jesus needs to control the, the letting out of the truth, shall we say, until his time comes. And, and then also in the same idea, in chapter 1, verse 35 to 38, people, Jesus goes off to pray on his own in the early morning. People come and seek him out. And his rather surprising reaction is, let's go somewhere else. He's avoiding celebrity status and uprisings to push him into power. We read in John's Gospel, chapter 6.15, Jesus tells us, or, or John tells us, Jesus, knowing that they intended to make him king by force, withdrew. So he's not just another revolutionary. Okay, so where do the miracles fit in? Five in this passage, many more elsewhere. Of course, they were life-changing for those who were healed. And that is still so. However God does his works and his wonders, miracles and healings then and now are demonstrations of Jesus' compassion. They are windows into the heart of God and they're reasons for us to praise God and to wonder at his love. But miracles also carried a message that different people would understand in different ways. And it's that I want to think, of, to think about. Um, <clears throat> and to illustrate it, I want to focus on one of the miracles of those five that I read. And that's the healing of the man with leprosy. I have to confess, I'm very involved in leprosy mission, so it's an easy one uh, for me to take. Now, in those days, people with leprosy were regarded as bearing the punishment for sin, a belief which, regrettably, the Old Testament supports in three different instances. And even today, those with the disease are stigmatised, with life-limiting effects on education, employment, family life and more. In Jesus' time, someone with leprosy was regarded as physically and spiritually unclean. So they were barred from the temple, from the synagogue, and from normal life in a deeply religious culture. So notice in chapter 1, verse 40, the man with leprosy, by the way, we never use the word leper any more than you would use cripple for a disabled person today. Um, going back, Verse 40 of chapter 1, the man with leprosy does not say to Jesus, if you are able, you can make me well. 
He may have watched Jesus from a distance and knew what he could do. No, he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Hugely significant. That a rabbi might be willing to engage with him and heal him, that he might be religiously pure again, was all beyond his dreams until he saw Jesus. And we read, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched the man. That in itself was a sin for Jesus to do. To touch the unclean, to voluntarily defile yourself. But he does. And the man is clean and healed. But then, what does Jesus say in verse 43? We didn't read this earlier. Scripture says this. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing. Now Mark's context as in Matthew and Luke, tells us that this took place somewhere around Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. The priest is in the temple in Jerusalem. That's a round trip of about 150 miles. Why does Jesus make that demand? Well, Jesus himself tells us in verse 44. He says, as a testimony to them. Testimony of what? That someone has been, that someone has been healed and can return to the worshipping community, yes, but much more. Let me run that past you again. A testimony, as a testimony to them. Testimony of what? Yes, someone's been healed, and that's provided for in Leviticus. You can look it all up. But there's more going on. There's a message here that the Jewish hierarchy would understand but might be missed by others. And it's this. In Jesus' time, the nation was longing for the long-promised Messiah. False messiahs had come and gone. You can read about that in Acts 5. But the faithful watched and waited, and so did the religious authorities. There were even groups of Messiah watchers. The Qumran community, responsible for the Dead Sea Scrolls, may have been one of them. And there were beliefs about what would only happen when Messiah came. What could only be done by the Messiah clear indicators of his presence and identity. And one of those things on their tick list was that a Jewish man would be healed of leprosy. Three key factors. One, Jewish. Two, man. Three, leprosy. Naaman, who was healed of leprosy in the Old Testament, was not Jewish. Miriam, healed of leprosy in the Old Testament, was female. So when Jesus sent this Jewish 
man healed from leprosy to the priest, it was a silent Messiah claim for those who knew the signs and would understand. It was, as Jesus said, a testimony to them. Jesus wants the leaders of the faith to begin to realise who he is. Now you remember when John the Baptist sent some of his followers to Jesus, uh, we read in Matthew 11, they had the message, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus doesn't say, yes I am. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Those who knew the signs would see the Saviour in the miracles. Now here in Mark's Gospel and others, the healing of that man with leprosy is immediately followed by the account of the paralytic. Chapter 2, verse 1, a few days later. Now Luke emphasises a detail here that uh, he makes more of it than Mark does. In Luke chapter 5, verse 17, as we come to the healing of the paralytic, Luke says, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and from Jerusalem. Why are they all there from such a distance? They are there to check him out because he has made a symbolic claim. And the man who went to Jerusalem, having been healed of leprosy, was the testimony. And they all come. And to the paralytic, Jesus says firstly, friend, your sins are forgiven. And there they all are. And it says, Mark 2 verse 7, in their mind, who can forgive sins but God alone? Now the pattern of Jesus showing authority in word and deed and the religious leaders watching, testing, challenging, goes throughout the Gospels. By what authority? He spoke with such authority. And that's the theme that comes again and again. We can see it here in the challenge. They challenge him over fasting in chapter 2, verse 18, within our passage. They challenge him twice over Sabbath observance in chapter 2, 24, and chapter 3, verse 2, to do with the man with the shriveled hand on, on the Sabbath. Again and again, the theme is, by what authority do you do these things? And it all comes to a head and is expressed finally in John chapter 10. The Jews who were there gathered around Jesus, saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. The quote continues, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. 
And by the way, John always uses the word works instead of the word miracles. Okay? So what Jesus is saying is, look at what I do. Look at the miracles. And they testify to me. Now, words can be twisted. Jesus' words could be misunderstood, misreported, and disbelieved. But the miracles are unavoidable. Demonstrations of God's authority in God's world. But the insecure, politically driven religious leaders of Jesus' time couldn't face up to the possibility that this man from Nazareth, this northerner, this challenger of their laws and ways could possibly be God's Messiah. And so as Mark tells us within our passage, chapter 3, verse 2, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. And in the very last verse of our passage for today, chapter 3, verse 6, we read, The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians, they were normally rivals, how they might kill Jesus. Now in our society today, we know so well, words are twisted, misreported, misunderstood, or made to mean whatever people want them to mean. It's easy to question or discredit the words of Scripture, or the Gospels, or of Jesus. You may have family, friends, loved ones, colleagues, whom you hear doing that, maybe amongst yourselves, I don't know. There is also the danger of trying to live by Jesus' words alone, as if he were some kind of a guru to model our lives on, without facing who he really is, and what that then means. The miracles, with many, many witnesses and the faithful reporting of the Gospels, demand a response. Because they are works that only God can do. And in them we face the man who was God. Now that was too much for some in his own day. And it's the same today. They plotted to kill him. And in the end they did. And in effect, many folks do that in their own lives today. Ultimately, of course, when Jesus was ready, when his time had come, he did allow the plotters to kill him. And that led to the greatest miracles of all. That his death once for all takes away our sin and that his resurrection secures for us new life for eternity. Now our world and our neighbours have perhaps never been more in need of the miracles of forgiveness and healing and new life than they are today. But our society doesn't want a Messiah like Jesus. That is why we must continue to echo and to stand by the very first words in Mark's Gospel where he says what he intends to do and what we must continue to proclaim. And I quote that this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Well, let's briefly pray as we think about those things. Oh, Father God, we pray that 
as we go away into our week, something of the wonder of who you are and what that means will so affect us that it will show in our lives and that we perceive all around us the ongoing wonder and miracle of your authority and your work in our world and in our own lives. Hear our prayer, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, David.